When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hello, parents. It's Allison here, and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my episodes. I hope you've been enjoying them. I appreciate the emails that people have been sending me, appreciation for what they're learning, cheering me on, uh, and also, of course, sending in questions. So this week, we are doing a Q&A, although I've got a couple of great interviews lined up. Excited to tell you more about that, but let's get going on some questions here. So I have um, from my social media accounts, my son is 12 and thinks he should have full access on his phone and is disrespectful. So that's all the information I have. And I'm, again, not a miracle worker, but it gives me a little bit to be able to uh, arrange a conversation around providing some help. The first thing that goes through my mind as I think about this from an Adlerian perspective is um, the entitlement piece, you know, when he he feels that he should have full access on his phone. He feels entitled to this. This is his right. And that we get the second piece here that says, and he's disrespectful, treating treating other people with disrespectful, with disrespect, excuse me. So there's something going on in the relationship because what we know about kids who are disrespectful is that they don't feel that people are treating them respectfully. So usually, um, and I could say almost always, that um, the poor treatment that children give us is a reflection of poor treatment that we give them. Now, we may not feel that we're treating our kids poorly. We may think that we're just doing our job of being a parent. But there are ways to parent that are respectful and ways to do it that are disrespectful. And I really believe that parents 
can't always tell the difference because we have this cultural tradition that we don't view things through the lens of respect. And so we might say things like, well, of course I sent them to their room for back talk. Um, You know, they were being rude, so I've grounded them. And that may seem like very respectful parenting to you, but when we look at how we correct kids' behavior, child guidance as, as we call it, what we try to do is avoid anything that may appear to be uh, either punitive or reward-based. And so sending someone to their room can be perceived as punitive, so it may seem to you quite logical and appropriate and what parents do, uh, but it doesn't meet the criteria of um, of respect in the sense that we always want to use what are called logical consequences to hold our kids accountable for their behavior. And consequences um, are really about the comprehension that children choose their behaviors, and with every choice— there is the reality of an outcome. And trying to create a consequence that is related to the behavior is what's really important there. And so um, is being sent to your room for your tone of voice and the content of your speech, is that related to to, um, the actual behavior? Or is it just something random to make them feel like you've got control over them, that you're trying to, you know, make them pay the price for making a bad choice of their behavior? And we do that in a bunch of pay the price, take away their phone, pay the price, send them to their room, pay the price, I'm not going to drive you to a friend's house. These are all things that are punitive, and we want to take a more educative uh, approach with our kids. So it could be that um, if you dig into your parenting, that maybe your use of tone or control or underestimating their abilities or micromanaging or being more punitive, uh, there there could be all these little small transgressions, micro transgressions that really fly under the radar of the parent. And then, you know, we're just so appalled that the relationship has deteriorated and that we're getting treated disrespectfully. So I think um, many parents think that that respect should flow one direction, that because I'm older, because I'm the parent, you must always respect me and treat me with respect. And um, kids today have an appreciation that respect is actually something that is earned. You need, if, if you treat me respectfully, if you're a respectful parent, then you'll have earned my respect and, and I will return it in, in kind. But it's not an obligation based on your position. And that's really hard for some parents to get their head around. Um, and if we think about it, why would we put our kids in any other different category or bucket that if we just live by the philosophy that we should treat our fellow person with respect because they're a human being, we shouldn't degrade a, another human being. It doesn't matter what their behaviors are. It's it's about our behavior. There, you know, that we can navigate situations, we can navigate conflict, we can navigate behaviors, child guidance. There's ways to do it that can still be effective and fall within the realm of being respectful. Now, that's part of why the podcast is is hopefully helpful to people, because I think a lot of parents want to achieve that goal. They just don't know the how-tos. So we're all about child guidance setting respectful limits and boundaries, enforcing them in in respectful ways. 
Um, so let's go back to the other piece. So my first part, just to, uh, to, to wrap up the part about disrespect, if you want to increase the respect in the relationship between you and your son, I would start with looking at the ways that you are quietly, blindly, unknowingly being disrespectful to him. So, so search through your parenting there and do a little introspection and get that more respectful. And I think you'll see it'll start flowing the other way from him. That's one. And the second part here, though, is this feeling of that he's entitled to have full access to his phone. Now, I just use the word entitled. So, of course, every child now really wants to be on their phone. I understand that. But really, if we sort of pull the lens back again, it's this entitled attitude that I should get what I want when I want it. Why would a child end up with this this idea that that the rules don't apply to me, that I shouldn't be constrained? Um, and we have to look back on the history of this child's life and say, how has his so early socializing been in the family around being expected to be constrained around reasonable rules? You know, when he wants to stay up until midnight, do you do you let him? When he wants to have candy floss for for breakfast, you know, or a chocolate bar for breakfast, do you let him? Kids want all kinds of things. Uh, but we have to say, no, I'm sorry. Our bodies need sleep. It's time for bed. No, I'm sorry. We don't have chocolate bars for breakfast. We need to get some healthy food. We have to set limits and boundaries for our kids all the time. You know, no, I'm sorry. Um, we're only going to to um, pull out one craft today. We don't have time for two. We're, we have to be constantly setting limits and boundaries for our children and enforcing them in those respectful ways. And they may not like them, you know, I, but I wanted a chocolate bar. I want to stay up late. I want to do more crafts. And that's just part of the reality that um, it's okay to be disappointed with the reality or the needs of the situation. But once a child, you know, has realized that you say what you mean and you mean what you say, and then they stop negotiating. My guess is that if he's made it all the way to 12 and he still has this belief that he should get what he wants when he wants it, that he probably was uh, a child who in his early informative years and up until now potentially has been what Adlerians call a pampered, a pampered child. So this is a child who um, did not get socialized in the sense of when we say pampered, it means rather than asking the child to make accommodation into the social order and to do their part of the adjustment into the family or the adjustment into to meeting the group's needs, that instead he demanded that his individual ways get met. Um, I want it my way. And if he has learned through experience that if you hold your ground long enough that you get your way and that the rules don't apply to me and that I basically just sort of push people around and bully until I get my way, if that's what you've come to learn, then of course by the time you get to 12 and you want a phone, you would think it would just be another example like chocolate bars for breakfast and staying up late for bedtime or you know, or whatever else he's managed to, to get away with because maybe you had some difficulty in in parenting him. And, you know, maybe he was a more strong-willed child and maybe it was his temperament, but we still have to raise these kids and we still have to make sure that we don't uh, pamper, that we socialize them to understanding they're part of a group. You can't always get your way. You can have a voice and a say in helping arrange the the rules of the family to an age-appropriate amount of voice and say. Uh, we'll try as best as possible to get input and decide together around things, but we have to uh, we have to follow social order and think outside of ourselves and think of others. So training to think of others, 
You know, other people need to go to bed. Other people um, in this house uh, also need to be respected. Those things come with that that early training, you know, social interest, care and concern for other people, seeing yourself as not just me, but one of a group. Um, so, so I think a few things probably happened along the way that have gotten you to this point of crisis. It doesn't mean things aren't changeable. Um, but I would s- start by, again, we're going to imp- improve the respect quotient there. And we're going to get firmer about limits and boundaries, knowing that um, if he needs to have some say, especially at 12. So if he's got the phone, I would say, um, let's involve him not giving him all the say, but let's involve him in creating some kind of a media plan that makes sense for the family. And since right now he thinks that he should have full access and you disagree with his point of view, likely you're not the best authority to defend that point. I think you might be better to just get him to do some research on what's, you know, another outside authority that uh, you could go to, he could go to and do his research and find out what is the appropriate amount um, of access to the phone that a 12-year-old should have from a site like commonsensemedia.org or um, about kidshealth.ca or, I don't know, some other resource, and say, hey, it's not it's not about me, your mom, being mean. This is about what the health officials have shared about what is a good and reasonable limits for 12-year-olds. And I'm just, you know, following along with what the experts know. And so why don't you check that out? Uh, and so get that media plan set up, and then he's going to feel like it's less personal, less that it's just you arbitrarily trying to wreck his fun or being controlling. You're being a parent, you're getting educated, and you're getting some input with him, and you're making good limits and boundaries, and that's going to feel more respectful for him. And so he's going to be more likely to cooperate. So give that a go. That was that was a lot. Hope that made sense to you. <laughs> All right. Next question. My concern is my seven-year-old. I worry when he is 13, he will be out of control. He can hit when mad. So I guess what we're seeing here is if the angry outbursts are leading to physicality at seven, then if we follow that trajectory is what I think this parent is trying to say, um, you know, what's that, what is that out of control anger and rage going to look like um, by 13 if it's already looking like this at seven. And so uh, I, I think it's right for you to be concerned um, we, and to take action now. And I think that bodes well for the, for the future that we, this um, trying to figure out how does one learn to regulate their emotions and how to f- solve problems and solve emotionality without hitting other people. I, I, I think that's that's also very true. But the other piece here that I think is important to consider is what is happening in the life of a seven-year-old that they're getting so angry that they want to make you suffer by hit by hitting you. You know, it's uh, um, I, I'm sure at seven he knows right from wrong. You haven't given me any reason to believe that he's uh, um, has any other psychological issues that would make it difficult for him to distinguish that, which means when he hits you, he's meaning to hit you. He's doing it with intent. He is so angry, he wants to physically harm you. And so from we always want to get curious, knowing that that's not random, that's not... Um, that he is intending to hurt you. And so we have to know that from his truth... 
wow, how much anger must one have in the moment that they would want to let things escalate to the point of hitting and to be curious about that instead of upset about it. Be curious about it and start tracking, you know, and check in with him. Uh, what is it about the way this situation is, has gone down that you are feeling so disempowered and uh, that you need to rage to get justice. You have to rage to try to gain control of the situation, or you need to rage in order to prove you're right in this moment, which is part of uh, the, the the usefulnesses of, of anger. It's to, it's to win a fight, it's to, to get one's way, to regain control, to not be put down. And um, so I want to really see it through through their eyes and see if there's not a better way that we can avoid anyone in the family feeling so out of sorts with how things are going in the family and with people in the family. So it's a, it's a lot about listening here. Now, we can find out that when we, um, you know, talk to these kids, that sometimes they have some distorted thoughts. And this is what we discover in chatting with kids and, and in therapy, where, for example, they may very well feel that um, that they must always be right and that they should never be corrected and they find it incredibly distasteful. So if they're doing their homework and you point out a mistake to their rule of life, which can be completely idiosyncratic and part of their private logic and has nothing to do with common sense, but for them that may be their main issue. And if they find that so distasteful that you are criticizing them, that you are pointing out their errors, that all you ever know, and again, this isn't that it's the truth in the real world, this is the truth in the child's mind, that you only see the bad sides in me, that you never compliment me. You could have been complimenting them all morning. Again, you have to realize that it's the the child's interpretation of events that are very subjective and through their personal filters. Um, but there has to be a, a truism to the way that they see life through their private logic. And that's the part that we need to understand. And And sometimes you can get that through conversation and listening and being curious outside the time. And um, and then we can challenge that a little bit, and um, and if we can't correct that in our parenting conversations, and you know, trying to to show that a correction doesn't mean that you know a mistake doesn't mean that you're less valuable. It's how we learn, and all those other things that we might just talk about, reading books about perfectionism and, um, you know, how people made mistakes and all the great wisdom that they gained and whatever. So you might want to do it through some bibliotherapy. Lots of different ways that we can work with kids in that way. But of course, if you can't and you're not making any progress, then that's where you want to sort of turn things over to, to the professionals to find out what's going on that you know, they can't move this private logic a little closer into to common sense, but there's some discouragement there. So, uh, I, yeah, I would get at those triggers and get at what his thought process is. And certainly in the moment, um, I would let him know, you know, hitting is not okay. We, we can have big emotions. There's room for big emotions in this household. It's okay to get angry. I want to understand it it's, and uh, make life better for you and the family. But, um, but hitting is not all right. And uh, I need to feel safe in our home. And I would, in, in a, you know, as they start to get angered, I would try to get really calm and still and, and quiet. And I might just say, you know, um, can you calm yourself now? Can we talk about this? Or do I need to leave? I need to feel safe. And I would walk away. Uh, I certainly could say, I don't let people hit me. 
and I hope you never let anyone hit you either. I'm happy to hear everything you have to say, and I know you want me to know that you're mad, but I need to feel safe. Not okay to hit people. Yeah, and so, yeah, protect yourself. Uh, you know, some people let their kids hit them, and and then they cry. You know, they'll go like, oh, you know, you hurt me, whatever. And they try to make it, like, more dramatic as if that's going to help. And um, I don't think we ever want our kids to ever feel that there is, um, that it's that it's okay to be hit and to, to bring someone to tears. That's not the right course of action to get them to reconsider. And like I said, what, what we really want to do is is look at not having them get so angry in the first place as opposed to how to hold their physical reaction when they do. The other thing to know is that a lot of people will say like, you know, go punch a pillow or whatever. I do agree that punching a pillow is better than punching me. But, you know, when we do this pillow punching, what we're really doing is we're taking a, an emotion that would normally just pass through and get metabolized and we're kind of getting them to practice being angry. We're getting them to keep it, keep the thoughts and, and the feelings aggravated longer than they need. So I, I don't usually recommend that. And, you know, he's seven, but with littler kids sometimes too, I've often said, you know, our hands are for hugging, not for hitting. Can you keep your hands calm or do I need to hold them? And then I might just actually grab their hands for a second and just restrain them just for just a quick, quick second. And when they pull their hands back, I say, oh, no, sounds like you'd like to keep your hands to yourself. That's great. Um, and usually they, they get the idea that, you know, they don't want to be, they want freedom. They want freedom and they want their own self-control. They don't want that inhibited. So it's uh, it's about saying, good, use, use your hands respectfully and they, they can be all yours. Um, okay, let me just uh, get to another one here. How do I teach them to self-validate instead of looking outwards? Hey, mommy, look at this. Hey, mommy, look at that. Uh, I totally understand. Uh, (laughs) Kids do like to have an audience, and they do want you to, to, you know, be proud of them, and they like to show off what they can do and be excited for them, and I think that's part of human connection. Um, But yes, I, I do think that they can often try to be too pleasing and they are looking for that validation to say, do you like me? Am I okay? Am I living up to your standard? And and we've had conversations on this podcast about the difference between praise and encouragement. And when our kids get uh, rewarded verbally or, you know, validated for performances and they come up with this idea that, um, you know, I, I must make sure at every moment that um, I'm okay then we're looking for this external validation to maintain our our kind of sense of ourself, our self worth, and 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 yet the word is self worth. We don't want other worth. I mean, you know, we we want to fit in the family. We want to be important and significant to the social groups that we're embedded in. And we want to do that by being contributive and helpful. That's sort of how the whole system works. But if you're constantly saying, you know, I'm not okay unless somebody validates me, that's a real problem. So from the youngest of age, we could start by really just putting the question back to them um, to be able to say, you know, oh, mommy, what do you think about my picture? And so instead of saying it's a good picture, which means I'm now judging and evaluating it, I might just say, oh, um, I really enjoy looking at that. I'm going to put that on the fridge. How do you feel about your picture? Right? You know, oh, you know, I think I'm going to wear this today. How do I look? I say, well, tell me about what you've chosen for yourself today. How do you feel wearing it? So if you can, every time you hear that they're asking for it, you can stay positive. You don't, you know, you don't, it's fine to, to add your little piece, but I would minimize it um, or withhold it when you can and put it back to them. Well, I'm really curious how you feel about it. I'm really curious about how you chose to pick it. 
And, you know, there you go. Yeah, you know what you like. You know how you like to, to dress yourself. You look like you are, are really satisfied with how that came off today. Good for you. <laughs> so I, it takes work. It takes practice. It's not usually the way that we talk to kids. But just keep pushing it back on them and just notice when are we giving, um, you know, appraisal? Uh, when are we being evaluative in our language? And you will be shocked. I think I've said on an earlier podcast when I was uh, doing uh, some of my play therapy courses they tape us, you know, you're, you're videotaped working with the kids. And I thought I was pretty good with not being a, somebody who praises and just being um, more encouraging. But what I realized is that I just have this constant diatribe of even too much encouragement just going on and on and on. I talk way too much. And I do slip into evaluation that it doesn't look like outright praise, but it still has this evaluation as if kids need these constant feedbacks. They don't. We could just sit and smile, you know? We could just just smile. We don't have to say so much. We don't ha- they don't need all that feedback that we want to give them. So again, I, I say this knowing that it's um, it's the truth and also knowing that it's really hard to to live. So <laughs> all right, so thank you very much for the questions, everybody. and I look forward to catching you on the next uh, episode and keep sending in those questions. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.